everyone. Welcome to the More Children's and Youth Leadership Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be listening to Nathan Holt talk about tips for discipleship and what I learned from wearing the number five. Originally recorded in 2020 for More Online, in this episode, join Nathan as he takes us on a journey, literally driving around the streets of Auckland as he shares his own experiences of discipleship and what it looks like for us to disciple others as well. Hi. Welcome to uh, Driving with Nathan. This is the video series where I drive around Auckland and talk to myself, and you get to watch it. So, it's a rainy day here in Auckland. So, we're going to drive carefully, and we're going to drive to the conditions, and, uh, we're going to talk about discipleship. So I think the title for this one is going to be Tips for Discipleship and What I Learned as a Consequence of Wearing the Number Five. Uh, title's a work in progress. Let's hold on. So, in 1992, um, I watched the movie The Mighty Ducks. Changed my life. I instantly fell in love with ice hockey. I went home that night, grabbed like a plastic baseball bat, taped like a piece, like a stick of a toy to it. Uh, Went out in the snow and played ice hockey. Not long after, you know, like eventually my parents bought me a real stick and and also bought me my first hockey jersey. My first hockey jersey was this arbitrary, like weird jersey, just real generic. Um, And it had the number four on it, so that became my number. When I got to high school, I joined the ice hockey program and uh, the number four was already taken. So I just picked the next closest one, number five. Now, what we would do as as junior varsity hockey players is we would go to the varsity games. And when we went, we would wear a shirt and a tie, and then we'd, we'd wear hockey jerseys over the top. So I was in the in the lobby of the, uh, the ice arena, and I heard a guy yelling, did I see number five, did I see number five? And then he eventually found me, and he introduced himself. His name's Ching. And he explained to me that he was the previous number five at Central High School, and that number five was a legacy number. He went on to explain that uh, legacy number means that that the number five is supposed to be the best player in the program, and that it was his job as the previous number five to teach me, the current number five, how to be the best player in the program. So he asked me if I was interested and he asked me in a way that I was like, mm, I can't say no. So um, he asked me if I was interested, and, and we immediately got stuck into what ended up being the formation of my discipleship understanding. Ching fully invested in me from that day throughout my entire high school life. 
Um, he invested into me all things ice hockey. He came to my practices. He came to every game. He came to our summer ice hockey camps. Um, he made me play on his, his summer team. Like, just just everything. Um, and that, that, as I, that, that was my first experience in discipleship. So, uh, really interesting thing about all of that is that I never, I never had it confirmed to me whether or not his, the legacy number thing and the idea that the number five would be the best player in, in the program and all that stuff. I never had it confirmed to me that that was actually true. Um, for all I know, Ching made that up. And that's actually tip number one for discipleship is find a trigger, pick a trigger and just, just go with it. So for Ching, his trigger was Central High School ice hockey program number five. That's who he's going to disciple. That's who he's going to invest into. Um, so for you, figure out something, figure out anything. Um, like, like for me in, in some of my, uh, some of my appointments and some of my jobs, it's just been, okay, so whoever, whoever is wearing a blue shirt, um, whoever is, whoever steps forward first, um, and then you decide between yourselves whether or not you both want to commit to a relationship where the purpose is the development of the individual. So that's what Ching did for me. Now, there were three main things that he did for me in that relationship. Um, and those are going to be my three tips for this, uh, this video. Um, and tip number one was that he used finite structures to teach me concepts of the infinite. You see, there was this, there was this one game that I remember um, feeling like I did really, really well. And he... Uh, picked me up from the game, he drove me home, which was some, that was really interesting, like, he wouldn't let my parents drive me home, um, my parents didn't get to drive me home from games, they would come to my games and watch me play, um, but Ching was the one that drove me home, um, and one of the things he said to me on this particular drive that I thought I did really well, he asked me, he would always ask me how I thought I did, and I, I'd say, man, nailed it. Um, I had scored a goal that game. We won like eight nothing. I was real excited about it. I felt like we we just accomplished something. And what he said to me is, "Well, Nate, you never got hit, and if you don't get hit, you're not in the game." Um, I asked him what what that meant, and he he went on to explain that um, you know ice hockey is a physical sport, and if you're not getting if you're not getting hit, if if nobody's running into you, if nobody's trying to to muscle you off anything, then you're not you're not really involved. Um, if you're not getting hit, there that means that there is far much far more you could have been doing. Okay, if you're not getting hit, it meant you have more space to take up. It it meant you had uh, you had the ability to to do more. There was another time when he used to take me out and we would play one on one, and he would always just smash me like he would he would win by a significant amount. So there was a one day I decided, and I, I played very, very defensively, and my natural instinct is to risk as little as possible. And he 
he beat me one nothing that day, which to me was a great victory. And he asked me how I thought I did, and I shared with him my pride in him only beating me one nothing. And his response was, well, Nate, you still lost. And 100% of the shots you don't take don't go in. Now, that confused me, as I'm sure many of you are trying to figure out right now. You're trying to compute that in your head. Uh, that's a Wayne Gretzky quote, and to any ice hockey player, ice hockey uh, fan, you know that Wayne Gretzky essentially is the Moses of, of the ice hockey world. And I would call him the Jesus, but that feels sacrilegious. Um, so I'll call him Moses. And uh, he, he said that 100% of the shots you don't take don't go in. Um, Ching went on to explain to me that he, he walked me through an analysis of what's the worst that happens if you just throw the puck toward the net. Um, and he said, look, worst that happens is, is like the goalie saves it and gets it to a teammate and they have to get it out from deep in their zone. Now, best that happens is you score a goal. And then he asked me, so what's the worst that happens if you, if you don't, if you hold on to the, if you hold on to the puck and you never shoot it? I said, well, I mean, I guess you get it stolen and, and they're further down, you know, like you could get it stolen from wherever you are and they're closer to the goal than they would be if you'd taken the shot. And he said, what's the best that happens if you never shoot? Well, the best that happens is you don't lose the puck. But there is no glory in that. You know, like there's no like whoop-de-doo. Um, so that that started me in this this process that I've never gotten rid of. It's I, I've had this process through the rest of my life. It's the process of doing constant risk analysis of risk versus reward. What's the reward I get from what I'm doing right now? And what are the risks? What's the worst? What's the worst that happens right now? And what's the best that happens? Um, so what happened was that he used he used a finite structure of one on one playing hockey with him to teach me a concept that would actually adjust the way I approach all of life. Um, so if you're ever hanging out with me and we're trying to make some decisions on something, and you see me going like this. What I'm doing is going through the 100% of the shots you don't take won't go in process. I'm thinking, if I shoot this right now, what's the worst that happens and what's the best that happens? Um, and then I'm, I'm adding it up and I'm going, okay, well, yeah, like this and this and this and I, I do that all in my head. And then I'm going, okay, so if I hold on to this right now and if I do nothing with this information that I have, if we decide not to make a decision at all, what's the worst that happens and what's the best that happens. And many of my decisions um, go back to that one day where we were playing in a very safe, finite structure and I learned a concept that would help me navigate my place in the universe for the rest of my life. If you want to know more about finite and infinite games, I strongly recommend you can start with a book called Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. Um, and then James Kars is someone who wrote, who, who inspired a lot of Simon Sinek's thinking around finite and infinite games. He wrote a book called Finite and Infinite Games. Uh, they are worth having a look, and, and it's very interesting about the psychology of what happens when, when your focus is on in finite games versus infinite games. 
Um, but the basic concept is that infinite games are all of life. Um, life is an infinite game. Uh, finite games are things like ice hockey and roller hockey and rugby and baseball and Sunday morning services and youth groups and things like that. Adventure-based learning is a prime example of using finite games to teach concepts of the infinite. If you've done adventure-based learning, you'd understand that every game that you learn teaches a concept about life. That's a perfect example. Finite game being used to teach concepts of the infinite. And that is my tip number two for embracing a lifestyle of discipleship and discipling someone else is, is find those people within the finite games where you can teach them concepts that apply to all of life. All right, so the one I learned was about risk analysis. And the other one I learned that I'll always remember, and I learned a ton from Ching, but there are two ones that have impacted me the most. Whereas 100% of the shots you don't take don't go in, and it's the concept of risk analysis. And then the second one was, if you're not getting hit, you're not in the game. And that gave me the start of my, my understanding that discomfort is not death, and discomfort is not the end, and no one has ever accomplished anything great without getting hit in the process. Um, the way I tend to teach it is the first person through the wall always gets bloodied. And that's the concept that, you know, like everything in life requires someone to take a risk and someone to, to go at something um, for the first time. And that person always takes a beating. And there is no glory, there are no great things accomplished without an understanding that there's going to be a level of discomfort, there's going to be a level of anxiety, there's going to be a level of, of not being sure of what you're about to do. Um, but if you're not getting hit, you're not in the game. Alright, so, uh, use finite games to teach concepts of the infinite. One of the advantages of using finite games is they tend, you can create safe environments when you're teaching through finite games. Life is hard and life is dangerous and life is crazy. Um, I'm not going to suggest that you teach anyone to just go into life and just take massive risks. But when you're running youth programs and children's programs and things like that, if you have leaders and volunteers within your children's programs, you can create for them environments where they can test their leadership skills in relative safe, safety. You can be there to help them navigate those, those things. Um, which brings us to the next point. The next point is something that Ching introduced me to, which was uh, what I call the, the cycle of development. And essentially what would happen is, as I said, he would take me, he would, he would come to all my practices, he would drive me home from every game, and after every game, he would do a full analysis of how I did. Now the important thing here was, as I, as I shared before, I had that game where I thought I did really well, and I scored a goal, and we won the game, and he saw it very differently. What he saw was that I wasn't involved in the action. Um, I wasn't able to see that because I was in the game. And that's a reality that we have to face. We have to understand that we can't see our own faults. We can't see where we can improve. We can't see those things because we're in the thick of it. We are not the best people to analyze our performance. All right, Someone looking on, an audience member or, or something like that, they are actually best suited to, 
to see what we can't see. And that's a very important thing in the discipling relationship, and it's something you need to agree to from the start. Uh, when you have that trigger thing, that thing that this is how I decide who I'm going to disciple, you guys need to agree, and this is something Ching and I agreed on, is uh, is he was not my encouragement. He was not my source of encouragement. He was not my source of ego. He was not my source of pride. He was my source of growth and development. His job was to look at the, what I did and nitpick every little detail and give me ways to improve. His job wasn't just to tell me where I'd gone wrong or tell me why he didn't like it. You know, like this isn't the situation where where you give a speech at something and some people just tell you why they didn't like that speech. That's not what this is. Um, this is the process where you give a speech at someone at something and someone is there to say, here's what worked, here's what didn't, here's what you can improve on the next time you give that. And that's always an agreed upon relationship. That kind of lifestyle, that kind of thing doesn't work unless it's agreed upon because we're not actually wired to take criticism. We're, we're wired to pursue uh, the release of serotonin and taking criticism doesn't do that. Um, so, so Ching and I had an agreement that his job wasn't to pat my back. Okay, his job was to uh, to encourage me to be better next time. So the cycle of development that he introduced me to was actually really, really simple. Um, and that was I would perform, I would act, I would do, I would do the things, so I would have the game. All right, and then after the game, he would critique what I did, he would critique how I did it, and he would give me one thing to focus on before that next game. There was one game where uh, I, he came away from it and said, Nathan, your passing was weak. All your passes were really weak. They need to be harder. So every practice you go to between now and your next game, I want you to pass as hard as you can. And what you're looking for is that balance of passing with, with aggression and passing uh, with a firm, with, with like passing hard but not too hard okay so he helped me through that process and after just a week of that my passing was significantly better and then he would take and he would take the next week and he would say okay well you're not shooting enough take your shots whenever you get so like between now and then anytime you have you have possession of the puck within this section you're putting a shot on net I don't care what else is going on all right, and I would focus on that. Now, the reason we practice is so that we can develop in a safe environment. Again, it's a finite, it's a finite game. You're creating environments of safety so that you can improve. Um, this cycle of improvement relies on those kind of things. So, uh, so what I'm encouraging you to do is your second part of your discipleship, your second discipleship tip, is embrace a daily rhythm of critique and preparation. You're not going to like it, and that's not the purpose. The purpose isn't that you like it. The purpose isn't that you're comfortable. The purpose is that you can, you know what you can get better at and you can develop. I'm not saying you should focus on your weaknesses, but I am saying you should understand your weaknesses so that they don't destroy you. Okay? I'm not saying uh, that you should never get encouraged because you will and you should. You should be encouraged you, and you will get encouraged. Um, but what I'm saying is you have to have someone in your life whose job it is to look after your growth and development. And if you want to disciple someone, 
that's important. All right, discipling someone is not just encouraging them and helping them have a nice time. And there's a difference between discomfort and death. Your job is to create growth that is uncomfortable, but not kill them. Right? So, tip number tip number three is embrace a daily rhythm of development. And that's, you know, don't wait for an annual review. Don't wait for a once a year thing that you, where you only talk about your goals and then things once. Every week you should have a new goal and you should be helping the people you're discipling have a new goal each week. And just pick one thing, make it really simple and create your finite rules around that. All right, so my personal rule this week is that I know that I tend to lead towards uh, a personality of arrogance and that I talk too much in meetings. So when I'm part of meetings, one of my goals right now is to be the last person around the table to talk in any conversation point. Um, it's difficult, but it's helping me be a better listener. Um, so that that's the one thing I'm working on this week. And every day, every meeting I go to, it's Nathan wait don't talk listen yeah next week I'll figure something else out that I'll, I'll look into um, so that's tip number two uh, number three uh, tip number four is uh, build all of this toward purpose uh, Simon Sinek has has coined the golden circle I'm sure you've heard people talk about it before and the whole start with why thing I strongly recommend that you watch as many of his talks about this as possible and read his book um, we have we in in our society have oversimplified the stuff that he talks about there's actually a lot of depth to it and it's actually quite a simple process that that carries depth um, but we've actually oversimplified it and over applied it so I strongly recommend that you do some of your own reading and some of your own research into into the whole find your why and start with why um, but that was something that Ching instilled in me very early on. Uh, what would happen is every week when we were doing our, our development cycle thing, he would remind me that I'm a playmaker. And he would explain that playmakers' jobs in a hockey team is to create space for others to accomplish things. That was my job. My job was to, to create space. Now... You know, we just we talked about using finite games to teach concepts of the infinite. Um, that purpose has carried on through the rest of my life. The way I see my calling, the way I see my my appointments as a Salvation Army officer, the way I see my entire ministry is that my job is to create space for others to accomplish great things. My job isn't actually to score goals. My job isn't actually to be an enforcer. You know, like every hockey team has various roles within it. All those roles are important, but I have to know what mine is, and all of my development has to be toward getting better at that role. Um, it's the same in life. I have to understand my purpose in life, and I have to do all my development toward being better at that purpose. If my purpose is creating space for others to do great things, there's certain levels of advocacy I need to understand. There's certain levels of political games I need to understand. There's certain levels of, uh, uh, of social justice and speaking up for others that I need to understand. And there's certain, there's certain concepts of getting out of the way as a leader that I need to understand. Um, 
if I'm going to be a playmaker for others, my my goal is not to to score the goals myself. My go- my goal is to create space so that other people have the opportunity to score. That was what I learned in hockey, and every time I met with Ching, he would remind me of that purpose. And if you are discipling someone else, your job is to help them find their purpose and help them develop toward the fulfillment of it. So my job in in my ministry, when I'm discipling someone else, is to look for, and this goes all the way back to finding your trigger, one of the triggers can be looking for someone who has a similar role. So I'm looking for people who fulfill similar roles uh, in, in life. And when I disciple people, I'm always leading them toward being a playmaker. I'm always leading them toward being a person that creates space for others to do ministry. Uh, being a person that creates space for others to be able to flourish. Uh, being a person that creates space for others to score goals. Um, because I understand that that's my purpose in life and I've developed toward that, I can then help others to do the same. Um, and it's really, really important that your discipleship is toward the purpose of the individual. All right? Um, it, it, you help people find their personal ministry and you help people develop toward that personal ministry. Um, your job as a discipler is not to find more people who can do your ministry. Okay, that's that's not your job. Your job isn't as a discipler to train people to do your work. Uh, your job as a discipler is to train people to fulfill their calling and their purpose in life. So, that's what Ching did for me. And he used uh, he used a cycle of development to do that. Everything was remember, Nate. You're a playmaker. So a playmaker in this situation, you had this situation. In the review of it, here's what you did. Here's what a playmaker would do. So one step to getting closer to that fulfillment of that purpose is this week you're just going to pass as hard as you can. You know, this week you're going to take risks. This week you're going to take risks and analyze and analyze the what what the outcomes were. Okay, it was that cycle of development that came from a reminder of purpose. Everything goes back to that purpose. Uh, and then what he did is as, as many finite games as possible to teach concepts of the infinite. And that, that's, a, that's a layers of microcosm. So you have the world, you have the universe, you have the infinite. Um, and then you have, uh, we had ice hockey. And then within that, we created we created sub games. We created one-on-one at the tennis courts, which is where he made me play. Um, one-on-one at the tennis courts is another finite game within a finite game. And it was to teach 100% of the shots you don't take don't go in. It was to teach one-on-one defensive structures and strategies. It was to teach how to control the body positioning of an opponent. Um, finite games within finite games within finite games within the infinite but a constant reminder that what you're teaching as a discipler is the infinite game it's not the finite game you're using finite games to teach the infinite and then this all goes back to like well how do I start you know those things are great Nathan you've been driving for a while you're almost home how do I start this make something up pick a trigger Ideally, at the end of the at the end of the day, you're looking for someone who has a similar spark to you. You're looking for someone who fulfills a similar purpose that you do. 
that's your ideal because that's the person you can best disciple. That's the person you have the most to give to. But to get started, just pick a trigger. The next person you see with a blue shirt that comes into your programs. If you're running youth and children's programs, I strongly suggest that you pick the leaders that are volunteering to be part of that program. Okay, It's much harder to disciple a... Uh, it's much harder to disciple a, a, a fan than it is a player who signed up to be on the team. And it's even easier to, to disciple a captain or a leader within that team as a coach. You know, so like, what's the tier under you? Um, I'm going to always suggest that your audience and your, your congregation and your, your fan group, those are, those are the hardest ones to disciple. Okay, the followers are the harder ones to disciple, uh, but you'll have your your close, your inner circle. Um, you'll have your leaders. Um, I think we do ourselves a great disservice when we ignore the needs of leaders within our programs because we're trying to disciple the audience. Try to disciple your leaders first. Those are the people that are already signed up. They're already invested. We invest in them. We grow. Um, so that's it for me. Thanks for coming on a drive for me. This is a way to be entertained while I'm driving around Auckland. I will write it. I'll, I'll write a disclaimer. I won't write anything. I will state a disclaimer that I actually took the long way home, which is why I've been driving for a half hour. It doesn't usually take me a half hour to get home, but it's Auckland. You know, that's how we be. Anyway, thanks for joining me. I hope this was helpful. Look me up on Facebook. Feel free to send me emails. Feel free to ask me questions. There's so much to this discipleship lifestyle that we can dig into. And I look forward to taking more drives with my friends where we can talk about theories and concepts and philosophies of discipleship. All right. Take it easy. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope you got something out of it, maybe a little nugget of wisdom or a practical tip you can start implementing in your ministry. If you want to check out more, you can head to our website, www.moreconference.co.nz for the most up-to-date news and content from us. We'll see you next time on the More Children's and Youth Leadership Podcast.